All right. Last time I was with you, I told you about a restaurant that I've been to called Roots Southern Table. You remember? Out in Farmer's Branch, I told you about, and I raved about this gumbo. And a couple weeks ago, the New York Times put out its 2021 restaurant list. This is uh, the top 50 most vibrant, most delicious restaurants across the nation. And guess what restaurant made the list? Roots Southern Table. So what does this teach us? Number one... I have good taste. (laughs) Number two, once in a while, this rarely happens. Once in a while, I get things right. So you got to let me have this moment because this doesn't happen a whole lot. Okay, seriously, I I tell you this all the time. This is something I was praying for us this morning. I believe God speaks through his word. And, And in fact, it's something that astounds me about God because he's the creator of the universe. Like he holds all things together and he speaks to us through his word. And I believe he wants to do that this morning. And so I'm just going to get after it. We are in the Lord's prayer. And this morning we come to this line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Does God lead us into temptation? Does God cause us to sin? We all know the answer is no, right? So a better translation of this line is this. Don't let us succumb to sin and rescue us from the devil. There is evil in the world. Now, there is also good, but there is evil. And we see it every day as we turn on our TVs, as we scroll through our social media feeds, conflict and chaos surround us. Quite often, it feels like our world is in turmoil. And the problem is, it's not just out there. It's in here. Because so often it feels like the church is divided. But it's not just in here. It's also in here. So often we feel like we're in conflict. We often live under this heightened sense of anxiety that leaves us feeling overwhelmed, restless, and emotionally exhausted. Chaos is is just part of our life. And, And on the outside, life might look good. But inside, you're full of despair and disappointment and discouragement. And and it feels like following Jesus in our world today is just really hard. Like, why does it feel so hard? Why does it feel like we're so tired of trying to do the right thing, of trying to live the right way? Why does it feel so difficult? I'll tell you why. There is a war being waged on your soul. For centuries, followers of Jesus have used this model that they call the three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. Now, that exact wording isn't in scripture, but certainly that language is in scripture. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's the world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the devil. Verse three says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its its desires and thoughts. That's the flesh. The devil, the flesh, and the world. And on the cross, Jesus Christ won the ultimate victory over 
death, sin, and every evil. And one day he will return to rule and reign as our rightful king. But until that day, there is a war being waged on your soul. So you must know your enemies and you must fight them through the power of the spirit. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to help you know your enemies. The deception of the devil, the disordered desires of our hearts, and the sinful patterns of the world. Those are the enemies. Now, while there is a war being waged on your soul, we can overcome these enemies through the through spiritual practices, through spiritual disciplines. So I want to share with you three disciplines, three practices to help you with that. Now, before we dive in, I also want to give you two resources that that were really helpful to me as I put this talk together. The first one is is a very recent one. It's called Live No Lies. It's a book by John Mark Comer. And in this book, Comer gives us both historical Uh, social, theological, and cultural perspectives on each one of these enemies. Now, the second resource I would share with you is is a classic. It's one of my favorite books. It's called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Many of you are familiar with this book. If you're not, you should pick it up. It's a satirical novel, and while it's fiction, it actually gives us some of the best counsel on how to fight your enemies, how to resist sin and evil. And so I'd encourage you, if you want to dive deeper into this, check out those resources. Three enemies of the soul, three practices to overcome them. Okay? Let's go to the first enemy, the deception of the devil. Jesus, talking to the religious leaders of his day, says this. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is real. He's not some imaginary uh, red two-horned character with a pitchfork that sits on your shoulder. That is not who the devil is. Jesus said... He's a murderer. He's a murderer from the very beginning of time. He is hell-bent on destruction and chaos, and this is why it feels so hard to follow Jesus. Because while we're trying to live under the rule and reign of God, you are being attacked and assaulted by the devil. He's real, and he's at work in the world, and he has one goal for your life. Sheer, utter, total destruction. Again, Jesus, a few chapters later, says this. The thief, and he's talking about the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil's primary method in attacking us is through deception. He's not coming at you with a sword or a gun or even a stick. He is coming at you with lies. And one of our biggest problems is we don't take the devil seriously. We, we act like we don't have an enemy. So we walk around like we're in an amusement park when all the while we are on a battlefield. And then some of us, maybe we do take the devil seriously. But when we do, we kind of think about the devil only in terms of uh, casting out demons. Or sometimes we think every bad thing that happens to us is the devil's fault. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a flat tire. And right away, here's what I thought. Not today, Satan. Not today. I'm going to Costco. I'm getting this tire plugged up. You're not getting to me. Now, 
maybe, maybe that was part of the devil's schemes. But maybe it's just because I live in a new development, there's a lot of construction, and I hit a nail on the road. See, when Jesus talks about the devil, he doesn't talk about any of those things. He says that the devil is a liar and that he uses deception to enslave humanity in an unending cycle of devastation and destruction. Now, Jesus was a rabbi, but he wasn't just any ordinary rabbi. He was the son of God. He was uh, the only perfect human being that ever lived. So he shows us the best way to be human. To to follow Jesus is to place your trust in Jesus's vision for life. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, life to the full, deep, rich, soul-satisfying life. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. The devil can't he, he can't make us do anything. He has no power over us. We have to choose to sin, and quite often we do. And we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. The devil's goal is to deceive us so that we stop trusting God, so that we begin doubting God's love and faithfulness and goodness towards us. And this has been his strategy from the very beginning of time. Like he's not changed it up or anything. So let's go back to the garden and let's take a look. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent is a personification of the devil. He comes to Eve and he's described as being more crafty than any of the wild animals. That word crafty could also mean cunning or deceitful. And his first lie comes as a question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now here's the serpent's next lie. You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the deception? God's not as good or or wise as he says he is. He's not looking out for you. You can be like God. Do what makes you happy. Take back control and power from God. Life is all about you. And from that moment, those are the same lies that the devil has been whispering into our ears. And it's resulted in chaos, destruction, and utter turmoil in our lives. Do you see his strategy? He gets Eve alone. She's away from God. She's away from Adam. And then he lies. Now, Eve doesn't fall for the lie because she's a woman, so she's not as smart as Adam, or she's more gullible than Adam. That's not why she falls for the lie. She falls for the lie because she's alone. And when you are alone, you are far more susceptible to deception. That's the first enemy, the deception of the devil. Here's a second one, the disordered desires of our hearts or the flesh. Now, when Jesus begins his ministry, he proclaims the kingdom of God is near. We were made for a perfect world where relationships with God and with one another were whole, healthy, and right. God was the rightful king. But the biblical story is 
But just like Adam and Eve, we have chosen to become our own kings. We became self-centered, self-reliant. And when our relationship with God was broken, our relationship with others was also broken. And that's what leads to so much chaos in our lives, to, in, in our world, to wars, to conflict, to relationship issues. We became self-centered. We decided we make better kings, better queens than God. We gave into our flesh. Now, the flesh is that part of you that is turned inward, and it's focused on self-gratification and self-reliance. It's the desire to get what we want, whether it's in the form of pleasure or in the form of power and control. Augustine was one of the early church fathers from North Africa, and I told you about this in in my last message, but um, he thinks about this idea, and he calls it uh, disordered loves. In Augustine's mind, our heart's loves are disordered. The things that we ought to love third or fourth, we love first in our hearts. So it's not wrong to love your child, but if you love your child more than you love God, that's a disordered love. It's not wrong to enjoy your job and to to love what you do, but if you love your work more than God, that's a disordered love. If you love anything or anyone more than God, you will crush that person under the weight of, that, of your expectations because they were never meant to bear it. And it will break your heart. See, our problem isn't that we don't love. Our problem is that we don't love God supremely. Take a look back at Genesis 3. Let's go to verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The devil's deception fed Eve's disordered desire. She wants some good food. She wants to enjoy the pleasure of beauty and the power of wisdom. And so she eats of the fruit and so does Adam. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They act out of their disordered desires. They rely on themselves to try to fix what's broken inside of them to mask their shame. And from that moment on, this is the predicament of the human condition. We fall for the lies of the devil that feed our disordered desires. And then we try to fix ourselves. And it ends in pain and devastation every single time. And our culture doesn't help us. Our culture tells us that all kinds of messaging, that the good life is about feeling good. Have it your way. Just do it. Do what feels good. You deserve it. And we all have these conflicting desires inside of us, don't we? Like I have a desire to live a healthy lifestyle and to get in shape but I also have a desire for pumpkin pie. And I am really good at rationalizing my desires. I deserve it. I've had a hard day. It's only once a year. But my problem is that I eat a year's worth of pumpkin pie (laughs) once a year. Okay, on this more serious note, I really want to be a loving person. I want to grow to be more like Jesus. But I also have a desire to make a biting, hurtful comment to my coworker when I feel like they've disrespected me. 
I love how John Mark Comer puts it. He says, our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. In the moment of testing or temptation, when that desire to make a hurtful comment to my coworker is just inside of me and I just want to let them have it, that's not really my deepest, truest desire. Because as a follower of Jesus, I have the spirit of God inside of me. I am united with Christ, one with Christ, and the spirit empowers me if I lean into him. And so what I have to do in that moment is I have to allow the spirit of God to bring to my heart and bring to my mind my deepest desire, the desire to love out of the love that God has shown me, and then to act upon that. And when I live like that, it leads to joy and freedom and fullness of life. The deception of the devil feeds our disordered desires. That's the second enemy. Hang tight, because we still have to talk about one more, but there's good news coming. So here's the third one, the sinful patterns of the world. John writes this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Lust is a deformed love. It's love turned inwards. And John warns us about three lusts of the world. Lust of the flesh, which is sexual temptation where the body of an image bearer of God is purely used for our own sexual pleasure and satisfaction. But it's not just sexual desire. It's desire turned inward for food, drink, self-gratification of any kind, power, control. That's lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes is envy, jealousy, discontent, greed. And then the third one is the pride of life. This is our desire to think we know better than God, that we're smart enough, resourceful enough, strong enough to fix what's broken inside of us. It's when we say, God, I don't need you to be the king of my life. I'm doing a pretty good job. The sinful patterns of the world are when our disordered desires have free reign. Dallas Willard defines the world this way. Our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. In Paul's writings, he uses formation language to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. We're in a series on Sundays where we've been talking about spiritual formation and Barry defines it this way. Spiritual formation is a process of deep inner change whereby you become more like Jesus and therefore more of your true self. But formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing because we are all being formed by something or someone. Every minute of every day, you and I are being formed. We're formed by our relationships. We're formed by our culture. Seven years ago, I moved here to Texas and about this time in the fall, it's probably around October, here's what I noticed. The weather drops to a little bit below 75 degrees and Texans take out their flannel shirts, their scars and their boots. And I thought, this is nuts. Like, this is crazy. I'm not going to make it here because 75 degrees in New Jersey is like t-shirt and shorts. Fast forward seven years, a couple weeks ago, we had one of those first days where it was like 50 degrees in the morning. And I looked at my outfit about midday. And I was wearing a flannel shirt 
jeans and boots, and it was 75 degrees, and I thought it was perfectly normal. And in that moment, I had this realization, and I thought, dear God, I have become a Texan. Like, next thing you know, I'm going to be listening to George Strait and wearing cowboy boots. That is never going to happen. See, my environment has formed me. My relationships with you have formed me. We are formed by the relationships we develop, by the culture that we're part of. And the sinful patterns of the world deform us. We can be formed unto Jesus, or we can be deformed unto the devil. And as followers of Jesus, we are not against the world. We are for the world. We are against the sinful patterns of the world. And I think what often happens to us as Christians is we think either we have to go along with the sinful patterns of the world or we have to be so against the world that we react to people around us with anger and hatred. And neither one of those are the way of Jesus. People are not our enemies. Our battle is not against Democrats or Republicans, liberals or conservatives, anti-vaxxers or vaccine supporters or whoever else it is that you think is your enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against them, but for them. To be a follower of Jesus is to be formed unto mission, to, to love and serve those around us so that the beauty of Jesus might be on full display in our lives. We are to be different and distinct from the world, an alternative society that shows the world a better way to live. We are to live in such a beautiful and compelling way that the world stops and takes notice as we together embrace Jesus' vision for life. The sinful patterns of the world allow our disordered desires to have free reign and they deform us. Three enemies of the soul. The deception of the devil, the disordered desires of our hearts, and the sinful patterns of the world. Now, that's a lot on our enemies. And while there is a war being waged on your soul, there is hope. So how do we fight our enemies? The rhythms are our weapons of warfare. The rhythms are uh, spiritual disciplines, ancient practices that God uses to bring about transformation in our lives. The spirit transforms us as we embrace Jesus's vision for life, as we participate in formative embodied practices with the support of community. The rhythms allow us to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives, to be open to his work. The rhythms are our weapons of warfare against the enemies. Now, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you have been set free from the penalty of sin. You have been set free from the power of sin. But until Jesus returns, we will still live in the presence of sin. But we can say no to sin. And that's what we, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what we're asking for. God, help us say no to sin. And the way we do that is through the rhythms. This is not about willpower. This is not about doing more or trying harder. It is about the Spirit's power. The rhythms help us access the Spirit's power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. And it helps us, the rhythms help us stop believing the lies. They help us kill our flesh and live by the Spirit. See, you either believe the truth of God or the lies of the devil, and that leads to our thoughts. 
which leads to our actions, which leads to our habits, which form our character and culminate in our destiny, either to slavery to sin or to becoming your true self. The rhythms are habits that do something to us. They shape our character and our destiny. So I want to share with you three rhythms that will help us as we fight our enemies. First one is scripture. The average person, 2021, average American, watches three hours of TV every day, spends five hours on their phone. Now, I'm not saying all of that is bad, but if you are feeding your mind with eight hours of that and you're struggling to spend a few minutes in God's word, who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to win? We must fill our minds with the truth of God's word. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, that's what he did. He fought the devil with scripture. Paul says we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the goal of reading scripture is not just information, but transformation. Said another way, it's spiritual formation. We are to fill our minds so regularly with the truth of God's word that it begins to shape our thoughts. First rhythm is scripture. Second rhythm is prayer. When bombarded with lies, when we need to reorder our love so that God is our supreme love, we pray. Again, this is what Jesus does. He, he, we see this as his practice. He gets alone to be with God. We put away our phones. We find a quiet time and place to do this, whether it's early in the morning, late at night. Maybe it's in your car during lunch. I don't know. But as we talk to God, we are exposing the deception of the devil and we ask the spirit to empower us. We reclaim the truth and allow that to determine our actions. And in doing so, we shape our character and the people we become. Do you see how important this is? This is how we fight. Scripture, prayer, thirdly, community. Because you can't follow Jesus alone. When we are alone, we are far more susceptible to the deception of the devil. That's why we need one another. You are formed by your relationships. So who are you keeping company with? The distinguishing characteristic of a disciple is self-giving love. And community is where Jesus' disciples learn to practice that kind of love. If you want to become more like Jesus, you need a network of deep, rich relationships. And that can happen right here in Bible study. We need each other to to remind one another of, of the truth of God, to encourage each other to fight our flesh and to live by the spirit and to live as an alternative society to the world, to show the world a better way to live. A few weekends ago, I was speaking at a conference on Friday, and then I was preaching on Sunday. And I had this moment in between that where I just felt completely unprepared, overwhelmed, and anxious. And, and I began thinking, I'm going to fail. Like, I'm going to look so dumb. I have nothing worthwhile to say to these people. And so I had to pray and process that with the Lord. And as I did, here's the lie that was underneath those thoughts. I'm only as good as my best sermon. I'm only as good as what other people think about me. And so I had to combat those lies with the truth of God's word, that I am loved and accepted, that I am delighted in, that I am chosen. And I began just reading scripture that reminded me of that truth. 
and I recognized my disordered desire for the approval of others. And I confessed that to God. And about a day later, I shared that with two of my close friends because I needed them to encourage me, to challenge me, to to hold me accountable and to speak words of truth and life into my soul. Friends, this is how we fight. We fight through the rhythms of scripture, prayer, and community. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are asking God to help us fight the devil, the flesh, and the world. The devil does not have power over you. Your your disordered desires do not control you. And you can stand in the confidence of God against the sinful patterns of the world. Jesus has already won the victory for us. But until he returns... We must know our enemies and we must fight them through the power of the spirit. And as we do that day by day, step by step, moment by moment, we become more of our true selves, more of the people that God has intended us to be, more like Jesus.